Hey everyone, what's up? Welcome in to another episode of Real Sports Talk by Naraj Kalia. Um, as always, you can find all my episodes and content um, on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more platforms. I've been kind of doing a couple of shorter ones lately. Um, it's just, you know, a lot of things kind of coming up and working on some stuff, but we'll get back into the grind of it more uh, longer episodes at some point just kind of keeping it a little bit uh steady and minimum at the moment um so you know we're in the final week obviously october and you know got halloween coming up and obviously more things on the way so obviously we're seeing a lot of things continue to kind of come up now in the nba uh, obviously the first week or so is you know underway and we're seeing obviously some early things that some teams really have to work on, um, but there's also been a lot, you know, a lot of things to like as well, uh, considering how some of these teams that did make some offseason additions are playing well early on. Um, now you look at the Chicago Bulls for one. Uh, Zach Levine um, does have a injury on his, I think, non-shooting thumb, so you know. Something to watch out for the Chicago Bulls as they, you know, start this season off. Obviously, there's a big game tonight between the Knicks and the Bulls. Should be a really good one. Um, can't wait to break that one down. Um, you know, but uh, overall, you're seeing some of the you know other teams kind of find ways to uh, win. Um, there were a couple of close finishes last night. You know, you had the Hawks win 102 to 99. Um, over the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, you know, Brad Ingram had a shot at the end to win it, but wasn't able to kind of get off that defense that he was up against. I think it was either DeAndre Hunter or one of, one of the Hawk defenders really did a good job of defending him on that one. You had Harrison Barnes uh, hit a game winner over, De- over, over Devin Booker in Phoenix last night. You know, that was... Uh, Really a great shot and a much-needed win for the Sacramento Kings. So let me get into a couple of the games that um, also took place as well. Uh, you had the Miami Heat win 106 to 93 over the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, we know that the Nets obviously are still without Kyrie Irving, but having said that, you know they came to this game obviously um, you know playing well after they beat Washington um, I think a night or so ago and so Miami came in in this game and obviously this is a this is kind of an early kind of preview of what these two teams obviously can be head to head against each other later in the season obviously it's very early to tell but you, know, you had the Miami Heat come in and uh, get the victory over the Nets in which Bam Adebayo um, was the leading score for the Miami Heat. Put up, uh, I think, 24 points in the game. Uh, you know, getting it done around the paint. Uh, overall, you know, playing very well. Finding his spots, laying it in. Um, you kind of saw that a lot yesterday, right? With Kyle Lowry not really having that big of a shooting night. With Butler doing his thing. You know, they kind of featured... Add about a little bit more um, in the paint. Um, 
You know, both teams, although were sloppy, a lot of turnovers in this one. They combined both teams, ended up having like 31 turnovers combined. Uh, but you know, those kind of things do happen um, from time to time in a game. You look at the Nets. Obviously, Durant was leading score with 25 points in this game. Um, you know, we haven't yet seen James Harden have one of those big-time games, and obviously, his role has changed quite a bit, right? Because obviously, at the get-go here, he is like assuming those responsibilities of being a point guard, shooting guard, right? And we know that he's done it in the past before, but uh, obviously, it's a little more different, right? When you have some, you know, other players who can shoot the ball fairly well, or you can spread the floor. Um, you know, it's all about facilitating, and so Harden has done a decent job of that. But he hasn't looked like what he used to be in Houston, right? And the question is, when will he get to that point? Because um, we know that he can drop obviously 20, 30 points a game, but we haven't seen it um, yet this season. And probably he will have that at some point, but I think the Nets will need him to do that a little bit more this season. Try to like just take his own shots and. Um, well, you know, get his own points, you know, as well as just continue to play at a high level. But, you know, we're still seeing those things come up where he's, like, not getting those calls that he used to get. And that's something that Harden's really going to have to work through. I mean, no, he can't work through it. But, you know, if he can kind of play more like what he, when he played in Houston or something close to it, the Nets will be off better, with, you know, you know, with, with that kind of play style. Um, but looking at... It, where the game was really decided, I would say last night between the Nets and the Miami Heat came down to rebounding, right? The Nets did not have, I think, Claxton, one of their uh, power forwards out there, you know. So without him, you know, you saw Blake Griffin and Aldridge be out there quite a bit. Miami pretty much in this game it came down to rebounding and it, they got more possessions than the Nets did, right? Because you saw them out rebound that Jimmy Butler had 17 points, 14 rebounds, you know, double double. Uh, you PJ Tucker chipping with 15 points. Um, you also had, I think, one of their centers, uh, I think, Deadman, uh, who also played very well. So the Nets obviously didn't get a whole lot from Millsap and from Aldridge and Blake Griffin. They didn't get a whole lot from those guys. You know, they got a better game from Joe Harris. Um, you know Bruce Brown for all, but outside, excuse me, outside of that, you know the Nets didn't really get a whole lot of production, um, and we know that they're obviously trying to figure out ways to, you know, score and facilitate. And we know that KD and Harden are gonna probably, you know, be able to score and do what they have to do, but just kind of seeing it right now it's early it's very early right you're just kind of seeing uh, um just a lot of emphasis on just trying to you know get everyone involved and so i think that you know miami obviously just has a good amount of depth and you kind of saw it you know uh last night with you know tyler hero continuing to play well so um this is a case where the Nets really just have to continue to find ways to um, feature more of Lake Griffin, Aldridge, Millsap. I mean, Patty Mills can obviously do better than what he did. He played last night, so I think that's the key for the Nets if they want to 
kind of find a balance. Their second unit is going to have to be a little bit more stronger, especially with Kyrie Irving still not being able to play or not out there yet. They're going to need more, and hopefully that kind of see um, them get a little more balanced offensively when it comes down to it um, later in the season. So you also have the Washington Wizards win in Boston, 116-107. to uh, Spencer did really for Washington after a really great start. He's been really playing extremely well um, to start the season off. I mean, you're seeing this Washington Wizards team do a good job of just being able to, uh, you know, get some good um, ball movement. I mean, Bradley came back and had about 17 points in this game. Uh, you look at Montrez Harrell, he had a huge game. He had 23 points um, in this game, and he was a, really a, a good boost, you know, playing there the first second unit. Um, and you look at the Boston Celtics, obviously they had played really well offensively for the most part. You know, Tatum had played really well, um, but it was a rough shooting night, you know, overall for... I would say Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart. Uh, Dan Schroeder had some good points there. Al Horford did some things, but in the end, it just came down to like a couple of shots and decision making. And you know, we know that Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, obviously so talented that they can make it happen on the offensive end. They just didn't find their shots as well yesterday. Uh, the Wizards, obviously, at the early get go, are playing a little bit better than they you know anticipated, but. I think that, you know, this is something where they have a much improved lineup, right? Have a much improved lineup, um, you know, a little bit more of an effort of trying to play defense. And so, I mean, they're still giving up, obviously, points and stuff like that. But you're just kind of seeing um, a couple of things where, you know, obviously Washington's just trying to see what they have. And... Kyle Kuzma, Montrezl Harrell, you know, KP, obviously, you know, with Harrell and, and, you know, KP being there, obviously they have a little more of, you know, a couple more known veterans and stuff like that, so I think, you know, going forward, I think for Boston, obviously they've, they're going to be just fine, obviously they're still figuring out how to kind of find an offensive identity with their new head coach, Emi Yudoka, um, but... Boston obviously just needs to continue to have, they need to keep seeing more from their second unit, and I think that um, the key is just how well can they kind of find themselves when it comes down to later in the season when they have to like go up against some of the other top teams in the Eastern Conference. So in this next segment, I want to get into a couple of really uh, nice and interesting stories that I kind of read about last few days and kind of my thoughts on it. Uh, I want to talk about Sarah McMahon, uh, who is expected to be inducted into the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. Um, you know, she has been, um, I think, one of the best in terms of being able to compete Um you know, throughout the years, and, you know, even back, uh, even going back to her um, early days where she was a uh, member of the varsity 
program for the University of Minnesota Morris where she competed in world championships in wrestling. Um, she joined the first ever women's Olympic wrestling team for the U.S. Um, and I think she won a silver medal at the 2004 Olympics. So she's kind of been through um, all of it, kind of moving her way up at the ranks, you know, highly competitive, getting up to speed about a lot of different things, um, you know, throughout her time in the sport. And so she, um, you know, expected to join, obviously, an elite group of individuals who um, are in the, you know, Wrestling Hall of Fame. And, you know, her journey obviously started, you know, kind of just seeing what the program was all about. And once she got into that mindset, obviously, she really took off. And, you know, obviously, her biggest moment was winning the silver medal at the Olympics. And I think that going forward, she obviously just wants to keep trying to, uh, you know, stay with it and uh, see if she can obviously teach some of the younger uh, generation and people out there, obviously, uh, getting these programs that give her a platform in the first place um, to get out there and do her best. So she's come a long way for that, and I think that, you know, Overall, um, you know, she's won some. She's been able to kind of observe a lot of different uh, people throughout her career. And, you know, it all starts with just getting a platform. And so she got there with this program at the University of Minnesota Morris. You know, really took it um, the challenge to, like, see what she could do with it. She also defeated, actually, I forgot to mention, she you know, defeated, obviously, a really legendary Japanese um, athlete um, throughout her career. Um, I think Keris Icho is the name. So she had that, obviously, that big win in her career. She is actually part of the UFC, um, I think, at some capacity, you know, in one of the um, division classes of the UFC. And so, you know, she's been able to do, obviously, a lot of impressive things overall. But more importantly, like, you know, throughout her career, she signed with different agencies, right, to kind of get up to her speed, but, you know, with pro elite and top rank. Um, so she's kind of done it all, and her record um, is pretty remarkable. I think she's already over, like, 20-plus wins in her career, uh, winning in pretty impressive fashion. So, you know, special moment for her, um, getting to the Wrestling Hall of Fame. Um, you know, the, sorry, the National Wrestling Hall of the Fame. Um, so, well-deserved. And um, you just kind of look at how it's kind of going with some of the fighters out there. And, you know, you know, with the wrestling and everything, obviously a lot of, you know, a lot of pathways you can go and kind of getting up to the sport. And so for her, she... Obviously, having the experience of being the varsity program and then being able to kind of work her way up, she's been able to kind of do some good things. She did face Ronda Rousey at some point in her um, toward the end of her career, um, so she um, definitely has had her memorable experiences um, in wrestling. And I think that you know she's going to continue to be a part of some of the things going forward um, in terms of how other people, other women can get into this program and kind of find themselves in a, in a spot where they can like get to compete and compete in world championships as well.
So now I want to talk about Kayla Harrison, who is, um, you know, competing right now in MMA. And she is looking at some point to get into the UFC, and I'll get into that a little bit later. But Kayla Harrison has been uh, kind of finding herself in terms of, you know, trying to become more, uh, obviously, of a recognized athlete in sport, uh, you know, athlete in terms of MMA and what she can do in in the Professional Fighters League, which she, you know, started out at and has been very dominant, I would say, uh, you know, so far. And she competed in uh, judoka, uh, got started at an early age for MMA, you know, from Middletown, Ohio, age 31. Uh, she made her MMA debut uh, at the Professional Fighters League 2 in 2018 against Brittany Erickson, um in, I think, the lightweight division. And so, you know, she's been able to kind of work her way up, um, kind of get more and more competitive, um, you know, as she's competed in a lot of different fights, uh, I think, throughout her career so far. And, you know, she's kind of she's trying to aim for taking it to a whole nother level and i'd like to kind of see that in an athlete especially um someone who's obviously won a couple of you know judo championships uh she did get gold medals at the 2012 and 2016 olympic games um and you know She's just really motivated to kind of make that leap to the UFC at some point. She talked about it, obviously, in her last fight. Um, you know, being able to kind of figure out some things. And, you know, Dana White said that maybe she should kind of stay where she is at the PFL because of, like, you know, the money she's making and has a totally different level. And, you know, Lexi Kiel has to kind of clap back and say, like, yes, I can, like, you know, she doesn't care about Dana White's opinion. She wants to be able to kind of be the best at what she does when it's all said and done. Um, but, you know, she's had obviously uh, several uh, impressive victories, uh, a couple of knockouts, a couple of scorecard ones. And I think that, you know, obviously she would be a huge draw in the UFC if she does make that transition to it. I mean, it can be done based on what she's already been able to do um, at, you know, at her level and how she's been able to compete. And, you know, I think that's definitely something she could aim for and do. Um, you know, it kind of comes down through, uh, you know, how much does she want to, like, get there and be able to do, you know. But uh, the talent is there for her. And um, I think she may be having, uh, you know, another fight or so coming up. So uh, someone to watch out for, you know. Obviously, as I mentioned, you know, you're having a couple of, you know, it's just great to see, obviously, more and more of, you know, talent starting to really emerge, uh, whether it be the PFL, whether it be in wrestling itself, you know, just kind of seeing things kind of really emerge in, in a certain way. Um, and so I think that will continue to happen, you know, based on how things are going. Um, I think more and more talent will try to compete in the PFL um, leagues before making their transition to MMA or to boxing, you know, so those things can be ruled out for sure. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see where she ends up and what she does next in, in her professional career. But, you know, she's already caught the eyes of a lot of people. And I think that she might be someone that Dana White is going to have to kind of keep an eye on and watch out for. Because if she makes it into the UFC and everything, then, you know, obviously the promotion game, the kind of 
types of fights you may have. You know, Amanda Nunes, for example, a name. So, definitely something to watch out for. So, I want to now talk about Jason Hart, um, who is a uh, Los Angeles native, and he recently signed with a the G League Ignite uh, to be their head coach. And for people who do not know Jason Hart, uh, Jason Hart was a assistant coach under um, Syracuse um, coach Jim Bo- um, Jim Boheim. You know, and played nine years in the NBA. You know, wasn't obviously that dominant of a player, but he you know, played nine years in the NBA. Um, you know, has had a passion, obviously, to, to kind of uh, you know coach in college, and he has served as the USC associate head coach um, for quite some time. You know, but uh, he finally got his own opportunity uh, to do. Uh, it you know at uh, the G League here with the Ignite and look at Jason Hart obviously as I mentioned he's from Los Angeles um, you know he was obviously in a great situation in the USC but he talked about being able to kind of adapt and grow you know able to adapt and grow as a coach as a person and you know obviously there has been that discussion that talk about you know the lack of coaches you know black african-american coaches in you know college basketball to the nba you have that to some extent um but obviously it still remains a thing that is talked about a lot um in terms of the hiring practices and what you know what it takes to be on that level so you know he's someone that you know obviously has been able to coach at you know some level before obviously being with USC, you know, he did coach AAU basketball in LA at Taft High School. Um, his college coaching career actually, when he got started, began at uh, Pepperdine University in 2012 2013. Then he left for USC um, and was promoted to their associate head coach during the 2017 2018 season. And so, you know, he's kind of observed and see a lot of different players who. Have had potential to go to the NBA, like Evan Mobley, who was drafted earlier this year by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, so he's kind of been there, you know, with players, kind of developing, obviously, the tendencies of coaching these guys up. And you know, he wanted to kind of go into an environment where, like, he's kind of, you know, he wanted to embrace something which he knows that he'll get a chance to do what he wants to do. Obviously, the college coaching jobs are hard to kind of get, you know, depending on, um, you know. If you know somebody or doesn't have a connection, some of your experience, um, but you know, he kind of pitched himself to the G League Ignite, and you know he thought about this opportunity where you know, you know he's motivated to obviously teach and kind of you know, be uh, try to you know foster a competitive culture, um, and you know he just wants to be able to have that experience where he can like show coaches and show other people, other teams that like you know I'm able to coach at, at a certain level. And so, you know, he is part of a, um, a you know, a association, the Black Coaches Association in college, in college basketball, I believe. Or this is, I think, something on the level of close to that, where this, uh, you know, this association is designed to help, like, more candidates be identified for, like, head coaching opportunities, um, to help them kind of prepare for, like, 
how they have to, you know, be a coach or how to handle certain things. And so I think that, you know, him being part of this, obviously this association is huge. And now he's with the, you know, with the a G League team here that obviously he'll get to coach some really great players um, who are trying to make it to the NBA. And, you know, obviously his playing experience, his coaching experience is definitely going to bring a lot, uh, I think, a lot of good things. And so hopefully he can kind of turn this into an opportunity where, he can be considered for a, you know, a college job, uh, either you know for the coming season or the next season. But you know, he's someone who obviously talked about just not being afraid. He wants to see more and more of black coaches to kind of take their opportunities, not be scared to like adapt and grow and be at the center of something. And I think him joining this G League like night team, I mean, definitely help him kind of in his coaching aspirations of being a full-time head coach opportunity, you know full-time head coach at a college level he gets a chance now to do it here with the G League Ignite team so obviously we'll kind of learn more and more about him and what he can do as a coach potentially um, possibly at the college level or the NBA level one day so something to really uh, uh, you know uh, watch out for look for I mean it's really great to see obviously coaches get opportunities and we know that in the NFL NBA and even college like it's very tough for minority head coaches and you know assistant coaches to get opportunities and you know uh, this will only kind of uh, kind of push the envelope more and more about giving those uh, you know those coaches opportunities to have more for more fair interview practices more better consideration for some of these top-notch uh, top-notch college uh, basketball jobs and NBA jobs potentially in the future So to cap off today's episode, I want to talk about Week Eight and the Thursday night football matchup uh, between the six and one Green Bay Packers and the seven and zero Arizona Cardinals. This is kicking off Week Eight of the NFL 2021 season, and promises to be a great showdown between obviously Aaron Rodgers and Kyler Murray. We know that Kyler Murray has been off to a great start this season, and Rodgers obviously doing what he has to do in terms of just you know carrying the Packers offensively and getting it done um, so this team these two teams obviously are on the top of the NFC right now you know and it's all about kind of gaining that extra advantage right in terms of look at the Arizona Cardinals I have to admit for the Arizona Cardinals I did not have them um, making the postseason I think I think I had said that they would be close to it but they would miss it but Looking at what's kind of transpired through the first seven games, if they win a couple more games, at least three to four more games, they're going to be in the postseason. So, obviously, Cliff Kingsbury has done a tremendous job of being able to, you know, work on some things in, in terms of uh, getting um, more out of Kyler Murray and this offense. Obviously, we've seen, you know, DeAndre Hopkins fare much better than he fared last year in terms of production. And this office is getting it done. You know, they do have, obviously, A.J. Green there, Christian Kirk. Uh, we know that they're at the running back spot. Connor and Edmonds have done a formidable job. So, you know, this game is really going to come down to, I think, you know, which quarterbacks going to be able to make those, you know, plays at the end. Um, now, the Packers will not have Devontae Adams tonight. Alan Lazard's status is unknown. Um, and Packers also will not have their defensive coordinator Joe Barry out there due to COVID. 
So, you know, this is going to be a challenging game, I think, for the Cardinals and the Packers in different ways. I think for the Packers, one, defensively, you know, how do you slow down Kyler Murray and what he can be able to do. And as for the Arizona Cardinals, um, as a defense, right, can you make those plays against Aaron Rodgers? Can you get those turnovers on a short field? Uh, will you be able to blitz them well enough without J.J. Watt, um, who unfortunately for the Arizona Cardinals will be out um, with, you know, for the rest of the season with a, sh- with a shoulder injury? You know, so um, when it comes to that, I mean, we know that uh, the Cardinals defense has been really great this season in terms of how they've been able to defend with the play of Butter Baker and Byron Murphy Jr. But now you take away some of that pass rush, can they still hold up, you know, well enough in this game tonight? Now, I think that both coaches, uh, Matt LaFleur and, um, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, both will be aggressive tonight in this game in terms of play calling. And I think that'll be the case because we know that I think both teams have the potential to score a lot of points in this game. Now, with the Packers and without Devontae Adams, the Packers still have been able to be fairly as good in terms of their history. I think they are 6-0 without Devontae Adams um, in the games they play without him. Um, now, that may be going back a while or so, but I think this is a game in which you expect uh, the Cardinals to kind of come out and get off to a fast start. You know, They obviously have been playing some uh, relatively easy competition. I would say, you know, last few weeks. Then again, you could say that, you know, they obviously have more, have more impressive, you know, wins against playoff teams from last year on their on their roster. Um, but look at this game and a couple of things to kind of watch out for. I think one, so you know, there is no no Devontae Adams, right? Everybody's been kind of saying, you know, who's going to be that second, third person that steps up for the Packers and. This is an opportunity for, you know, a couple of wide receivers there in Green Bay. You know, not name Alan Lazard, who may be able to step up, right, and get opportunity. I mean, obviously, Randall Cobb is going to be someone that Aaron just may look to a lot tonight. Um, but, you know, they do have a couple other wide receivers. I think Robert Tunyon, the tight end, may see a lot more looks. So, you know, who's going to step up in Devontae Adams' absence offensively for, for, for the Packers in this game? And who's going to be that go-to guy for Aaron Rodgers? in this game um, I think also you know something to watch out for is you know how well um, you know do Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon play in the running game for the Packers right um, you know, we know that's been something that the Packers have featured a lot more um, in, you know the last two or three four games you know so seeing that running game tonight against this Cardinal defensive line will be a match for the watch as well so the keys for the Green Bay Packers in this one, I think number one, I think Aaron Rodgers really has to be great in getting the ball out against his Cardinals passer rush. You know, he may have to use his mobility um, to get out of a couple situations because the Cardinals definitely will bring pressure. They will bring pressure on him. Um, so I expect to see the Packers try to use a lot of different motions and creative sets. They gotta make these Cardinal DB defensive backs work um, towards the ball, and so I think that with Rodgers and how he can play 
getting the ball out quick is obviously a priority. But, you know, how well can you get these guys in space? And you've got to get these Cardinal defensive backs on the move. You know, throwing at them vertically down the field on the outside may not be the way to attack this defense. you got to try to find a ways to throw some short passes, throw some screen passes, but be efficient in doing so. And avoid taking any big you know, losses on first down, especially in this game. So they definitely have to do that, I think, a lot more, make the Cardinals defensive backs work, try to get some you know, calls against them. The second key for the Packers is their defense has to find a way for, to keep Kyler Murray from taking off from the pocket. Now, Kyler Murray's done a lot of damage, obviously, with his arm so far this season, but we know that you know, there have been some teams this season against the Packers uh, that we've seen a lot of quarterbacks take off and try to get run, you know, get runs against them. So the Packers can't let Kyler Murray take over this game with his mobility. They've got to force him to just make those throws that he always makes and see if they can kind of play to the ball and make some turn, you know, make some plays on it. You know, you said and done, but you know. Hopkins obviously is playing. I don't know if he's 100% healthy in this game. Um, but the Packers defense can't let Kyler Murray beat them in both ways in this game. They really need to do a good job of just being able to, uh, you know, keep a, obviously, a, you know, maybe try something with, you know, with, with a you know, spy, you know, a QB spy or something, you know. But you got to keep Kyler Murray in front of you and let him make those passes and really tackle after the catch. You know, let him make, let him make plays on the outside or let him throw in the middle. But definitely got to tackle and not let you know let them kind of break loose of those tackles, especially against Zach Ertz in the middle as well. I think the third key for the Packers is you really have to make sure you feed Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon the ball. I think more importantly in this game, obviously like it's a short week for the Packers, right? They're obviously dealing with a couple of COVID-related, uh, you know you know issues and things like that so you want to be able to run the football you know take time off the clock you know try to feature Jones and um, Dylan in the running game you know you got to wear down the Cardinals defensive line make them kind of commit to a little bit more I would say in terms of trying to play the run and that will open up a lot of passing opportunities as well I think if there was ever a game that the Packers really need their running game to like top another hundred yards rushing, which they've been able been able to do actually the last few weeks, um, they need this running running game to really show up tonight. Um, considering how they're limited a little bit, right? Uh, use that running game, you know, try getting some passes uh, with screen passes to Jones and Dylan, and I think that if the Packers do this, they'll be able to stay on the field a lot more longer and kind of limit the Cardinals' possessions. So the three keys for the Arizona Cardinals in this one, I think number one, Kyler Murray uh, needs to be really good in terms of making plays with his mobility. Um, I think that he's got to be smart with the football. Obviously, you know his timing with Hopkins and Green is there, but he's got to just find ways to make plays and do what he has to do. And they got to finish drives, I would say, more so in the Packers territory, right? You know, they did play well last week against Houston, albeit Houston, right? But in a couple of spots where you just want to see them be a little bit better in, you know, in terms of their play calling, their, uh, you know, execution, I would say. So when they get in Packers territory, you got to finish those drives and be really good in the red zone. 
especially knowing how you know the Packers may try to like bring some blitz or pressures and things like that. So it's got to be really good in those in those windows down there in the in Packers in Packers territory. I think the second key for the Arizona Cardinals is that their defense has to generate pressure on Aaron Rodgers. Now they don't have uh, you know what, but Chandler Jones has been having a pretty good season. You know, you do have a couple other players who may be able to, be able to step up. The Cardinals have got to be very creative with their blitzes and their pressures on Aaron Rodgers. Uh, if they can get a turnover or so early in the game, it'll definitely uh, help their offense, but also kind of set the tone for their defense. You know, the Cardinals do want to play fast and they do want to bring that pressure as much as possible. So how well do the Packers handle that? You know, the Cardinals have to find ways to use their best players. They do have on defense. Especially Butter Baker to make plays and limit this Packers passing attack any way they can. I think the third key for the Cardinals is that um, you know their running game has to be something that um, has to be a factor. Now I said that for the for the Packers as well, but look at the Cardinals they have started to run the football a lot better than they did last year, and throughout this season they've been able to use that to an extent. So. I think, you know, if you can find ways to run the football against the Packers and help Kyler Murray out, you know, you should definitely do it. Uh, it kind of works both ways. You, know, you kind of want to wear down the defensive lines. And so the running games of both teams are, are, are key to, uh, you know, a key to winning this game. And it just really comes down to execution. So I'd like to see more of these guys, you know, do that. I mean, the Packers allowed, you know, about 195, I think, or... Close to 100 plus yards, 165 yards, I think, uh, to the Washington football team last week. You know, so the opportunity is there for the Cardinals to run the football, but also be able to get those big plays down the field. So they really have to just do a good job of picking their spots and being able to execute in those spots. So, yeah, this is one of the early, obviously, top matchups in the NFC this season. Now, you wish the Packers had Devontae Adams, but they don't. But nonetheless, it should be a good game. I mean, the Packers and Cardinals have both have had some really historic games against each other in terms of playoff history, in terms of close finishes. Uh, both teams have had very competitive games against this one. I think that the Packers are going to play better uh, from the get-go in this game. I think it will be close. I don't see the Cardinals running away with this with this game. I think it'll be back and forth. I think that you'll see, you know. The Cardinals passing game and Kyler Murray. I think you'll see a lot of good things from Kyler Murray. I think Aaron Rodgers will do the same thing too. You know, obviously he's had some time to kind of prepare and think about what you know how he wants to proceed in this defense. So I think this will be the first kind of actual close game for the Cardinals, maybe more so than the previous ones they've had uh, this season. And I just can't rule out and count out Aaron Rodgers in this one. I think you know. It's a game in which all the stuff, you know, all the odds are stacked against Aaron Rodgers. In terms of like, you know, the Cardinals are at home; they're the favorites. Um, I think the Packers find a way to get this done, and I think that Aaron Rodgers gets the last shot at this game. I think that it will come close. I think Kyler Murray will get the Cardinals the lead in this game late, um, but I have the Packers finding a way with Aaron Rodgers. Whether it be by a field goal or, or a late touchdown, I think the Packers find a way to get a big win on the road um, at Arizona. Um, so I'm picking the Packers to win by, you know, three or seven points. 
something along those lines, you know, the margin of victory. Uh, I think you'll see a great game. It'll be high scoring maybe at some point, or it could be kind of in the middle. But I think the Packers, if they give Aaron Rodgers the ball at the last, uh, I think that he'll get it done and they'll win this game.